0: Welcome to the Millennium Counseling Center podcast, where hope is yours, it's time to soar. I'm your host, Oren Madison. It's time to
1: rise above and celebrate healing, hope, and recovery with the Millennium Counseling Center team.
0: Special thanks to Kaz Source, who helps us with the production of our podcast. If anybody needs any help or looking into podcasts, please reach out to Kaz Source at KazContent.com.
1: Thank you for tapping into some untapped keg, our podcast about sobriety, recovery, mental health, and everything in between. I am one of your hosts, RJ Zimmerman here with my good friend Monte Ball. How you doing, big guy?
2: I'm good, man. I'm excited. I'm 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 out here in in Virginia with you right now. Uh, gonna spend some time with the family. I'm excited, but also I'm excited as well because we got ourselves a very special guest today. Someone who I've had the opportunity of speaking to a couple times. Um, and uh, an awesome guy with an amazing story, and 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 also in an awesome business as well. And it's going to be just good, man. Um, so, folks, who are tuning in. We appreciate it. It's going to be going to be a really great show. RJ, how you doing, man?
1: Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Yesterday, I was a little tired. I think I caught a little bit of cold for my kids, but they're getting better. I got some sleep last night that was pretty decent, so I'm feeling good this morning. Got coffee. That's always a plus. Mm. So. Uh we are excited today to be joined by Derek Bilsma, Executive Director and Owner of the Millennium Counseling Center in Chicago, Illinois. Uh very excited to have you, sir. How are you doing today?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh uh surviving here as we go into the winter in Chicago, <laughs> but uh right. uh really happy to be joining you guys and uh I've gotten a chance to get to know Monte a little bit better over the past several months and uh, really enjoyed his book and uh, just uh, love his story and what he's doing. And so anything that uh, that he's got going on, I'm always happy to be a part of and look forward to a good conversation and continuing to try to get the word out there a little bit about uh, all these things that we we live in with uh, you know substance abuse and mental health and uh, people kind of facing tough times. So looking forward to it. Appreciate you having me.
2: Absolutely, man. I think first off, thank you, thank you for the kind of which. Thank you so much, man, for re- reading my book and, and and soaking all of that in. Um, I truly, truly appreciate that. I got a question for you off the top, of, just off the top of my head right now. What's the temperature like right now in Chicago? <laughs>
0: uh I think yesterday it was uh, it was it, a little bit over forty. It was a little nicer yesterday. We had sun, mm. and today though it's raining, and uh, so it's uh, it's colder today. So I think we're probably you know mid thirties, maybe. 40 if we're lucky, so yeah, we're heading into that that time of year where it just uh, makes you appreciate summer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're heading to that time of the year where it kind of flips, where the further you get from the lake, the colder it is, instead of, you know, (laughs) the closer you get to the lake, the colder. So, I grew up on Lake Michigan, so I know exactly what that's like. That's right,
0: that's right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, Derek, tell us a little bit about uh, your journey to uh starting the millennium counseling center
0: sure yeah i i like many uh have you know kind of got uh into this world based on some personal experiences uh either for my you know for my own or for family and, and and folks like that so i've noticed that a lot of people who kind of work in this space have some sort of personal connection to recovery or Mental health. Uh, so I'll tell you the, the quick version of my story, and if you have any questions. But uh, I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ultimately, ended up at Wisconsin, um, playing soccer there. So I played soccer at Wisconsin. Upgrade. <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, loved my experience there. Have really still a bunch of really good friends, uh, former Badgers, and, and folks that uh, that I hang out with. I meet up with a, a group of guys. RJ, you appreciate this, uh, but every year there's a group of five of us that meet up and go to a Packers game somewhere in the country. So uh, San, Francisco, San Francisco, New Orleans, Tampa, we've kind of traveled the country getting together and uh, and going to games. So that's a good time. And then, uh, so I, I ended up at Wisconsin and uh, had, had pretty much had a, a pretty good life, to be honest. I, you know, I had really good parents and things had gone well for me. I did well academically and had done well in sports and kind of continued that after college. I played Uh, Afterwards, a little bit, uh, you know, kind of professionally for soccer back before the MLS was around, played for a few years, did that and realized that I wasn't going to make a career out of that. So got into kind of got into the business world in staffing and recruiting, headhunting and ultimately did pretty well there. I got uh, several promotions and moved up with a, a big Fortune 500 company, Robert Half, and eventually broke off from there and started my own company uh, and did that a couple times we started a couple couple different companies in my 29 29 30 ages and ultimately got married to the woman i was dating at the time and then uh you know things started to uh, i had always been a partier. i had always been a guy who went out but it had never really affected my life much i think sports kind of kept me in in line so it couldn't really get too out of hand you know I, I mean still out of hand but not uh to the point where it, it was you know having any major consequences for me and then in my early 30s it uh you know our business kind of went through some ups and downs and uh, my marriage w- had, went through some ups and downs and i think uh, uh ultimately you know i'm not sure that life had that much to do with it. i think ultimately i just i just started uh Drinking more than I should have and got to a point where I couldn't quit on my own, uh, ended up going to treatment. I went to a treatment center out in California and came back and, uh, and have been sober since. So I came back from treatment and, uh, that's 17 years ago when I got sober, uh, and then, uh, set, went back in. I had had. I had a bunch of stuff to rebuild at that point. I went through a divorce. I was in really severe financial troubles uh, and didn't have many options. So I started a, another recruiting company, which did pretty well and got out of debt and then decided in, as a second career to go back and get my master's in my mid-30s uh, and went back and got my master's in clinical mental health counseling. Uh, I actually started at Millennium as a uh, as an intern. So Millennium was uh, owned and founded by an amazing woman named Ann Foster, who has been in the community for lots of years. And she had started Millennium over 20 years ago, uh, or about 20 years ago. And then so 10, 12 years ago, I came in as a as an intern and kind of moved up, uh, became a, you know then got hired on after my internship, became a senior counselor. I think four or five years ago I took over as executive director and then a couple of years ago myself and my partner Warren Madison ended up buying Millennium uh, from Ann Foster who went into retirement or semi-retirement and uh and and that kind of brings me to to here but um I'm very passionate about uh substance abuse any type any really any type of compulsive behaviors addiction uh but in addition to that something that I think uh we always need to pay attention to is mental health. I think sometimes people separate those two and they, uh, you know, they, they, they think you fall into one or two of the categories. And I think, I think most people, uh, you know, generally kind of bridge both, both sides of it, uh, you know, to varying degrees. And, uh, I'm very, very, very passionate about this. And it was one of the things that drew me to Monte. I had, uh, saw his book and actually sent him an email and said, Hey, listen, I'm a I'm a former Badger, and I, I followed your career on the field, and uh, I'm really impressed that you came out and, and you know, put out the story that was really heartfelt and uh, and honest and and vulnerable, and all the things that we need from people who who you know have been followed for a long time for people. And I think that uh, you know I, I give you a lot of credit, Monte, because I think that it's people like you that can really help this world uh, because people. You know, people look at athletes very highly in this society as they should, hardworking, and it, it tells a lot about a person if you can be successful on the field. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, anytime we can have somebody advocating for this, and Monte, I know that's what you've made your, your mission now is to advocate for this and to, you know, make people aware. And, uh, so I'm, I'm pleased to be on here. I'm, I'm pleased to be connected to you guys and, uh, you know, I think we're all on on similar journeys, and if we can kind of band together and and try to, uh, and it's working, right? It's working. People are, you know, you see AJ Brown comes out the other day, and yeah, you've got, uh, you know, you've got yeah. other folks who are just Cal- addressing it. Calvin Ridley
2: and yeah, Calvin Ridley doesn't start there. Simone Miles. Right, uh, I mean, yep. I mean, it's awesome, Derek. I, I, again, thank you. Uh, I mean, my goodness, man, it's it's very humbling. It, it truly, from the bottom of my heart, is so humbling. I'm you know, here in, your words um, and and, and uh, I just have a significant amount of gratitude for you, man. So thank you huh. so much. But I want to dive a little bit into like the reason, you know, uh, for you and we don't have to get too in depth uh, about all the mistakes and all that stuff. That's, that's sort of irrelevant. Uh, we really want to showcase your resilience, like uh, of, of being on the ground, being at your rock bottom, and, you know, what sparked that movement for you to go into treatment, to stay in treatment, right,
1: uh-huh. and to
2: come out of treatment and continue on this journey to where you are today. So we would love to hear if, if you can please provide us with that a little bit more about, uh, you know, what motivated you? What was that motivation? What was your why in that sure. moment?
0: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, you you think back and you look at these things that were going on in your life and um, <clears throat> wonder, uh, you know, in, in, in working with folks who are struggling with the same things, you you know, you've got terms like rock bottom and, and things which are which are true, right? We kind of hit our bottom. And uh, but the question always is, is, uh, you know, why wasn't it enough when right like yeah. you have these different things that happen and 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 from now, right, I can look back and say how how did how was that not a, a eye opening thing right mm-hmm. and so uh when i got when I got sober, I was in the process of uh my wife was leaving me uh ultimately my business partner was kicking me out of the company because uh he had he had been you know kind of carrying us for a while i was uh, really unhealthy. I had, uh, you know, always been an athlete and I was, uh, I was overweight and just really unhealthy. And then my financial situation was terrible. And, uh, in, in, it was all, you know, like, like many people like us, I had created this narrative that I wanted people to see. i had created this world of how I wanted people to view me and, and behind the scenes, it just was, it was, it was really messy. And, uh, I think that, uh, you know, I had people throughout the year say to me, you know, Derek, it's all going to catch up to you at some point. Cause I, I was crazy. Uh, I did, you know, I, I just was, uh, I, I felt like it always would work out. I, I, you know, I was, it didn't, even if it didn't make sense, I felt like, and it did, that was the, that was the crazy part about it. You know, all it, it always seemed to work out for me. I was like one of those guys who just thought I was really lucky. And, uh, and, and I could kind of do, I didn't, I wasn't like, You know, I I, I wasn't violent or even like kind of visibly uh, impaired a lot of the time. I mean, I think a a lot of the folks who knew me didn't necessarily, you know, think anything or or were too worried about it. But it was behind the scenes. It was things, you know, so I think to answer your question, I think when it started to become, uh, you know, more... dishonest, I guess, you know, when I, when I started to hide it and it wasn't a social thing, you know, from a drinking standpoint. And, uh, and I just felt like I was kind of breaking down and eventually I had several people come to me, including my mom and say, Hey, listen, we're really worried about you. Um, where that had kind of, you know, I had eluded that for a while. Um, but I didn't, I did not want to go to treatment. And, um, you know one of the interesting things that I look back on is, is i I remember thinking this is i I wanted to go to a treatment center that also dealt with mental health uh, and the the reason for me at that time was is because i i mean, I didn't know it, but i I think I just wanted it to be anything other than alcohol because if it if it were alcohol, then that means I would have to I would have to take that out of my life, right mm-hmm. and uh, so. I was okay with having some, you know, any, any other thing going on with me, but I just didn't want it to be that. So I think it was, you know, six or seven days once I was in within treatment that I kind of acknowledged really what was going on in my life and had a chance to step away a little bit and, you know, got some of the substances out of my system. And, uh, and then I think, you know, coming back, I was just really beaten down and I think that, uh, I had to do something, which I often ask people to do with me. And I think it's one of the hardest things. I had to find a few few people that I trusted and uh people that I thought i could could rely on and i had to I had to just have faith in the fact that what they're telling me was true mm-hmm. you know they're saying here's here's the things you need to do, and your life will get better right and it's what I do now all the time and i and I say to that to straight up to people I say listen, the hardest thing right now is you have to have faith that what I'm telling you is actually true and Uh, if you can do that, you know, uh, the little secret that I feel like I know now is, is that you don't have to be stuck there. There's a path out, you know, a path out that I didn't think existed. Uh, But ultimately, why I became why I came into this field is, is because I I saw how much better my own life had gotten in, you know, just a few short years, right. And, and so I kind of felt like I had this little, uh, I guess, to use the the terms they use these days, like a cheat code for life, right? It was, it was that there's a process that you can go through. And if you follow that process, then your life will get significantly better. And, and you can be happy and content. And it doesn't mean life is perfect. And it doesn't mean that there's no problem. But it does mean that uh, a lot of this kind of uh The issues that we're creating ourselves are no longer there, so I mm-hmm. think that that's uh that's kind of what got me there. I think that what kept me there is i I met a lot of really good people I've made friends with people in the recovery community uh but the biggest thing is is I think that uh the same thing that led, I believe the same thing that led me to doing well in sports and school and, and also to, uh, struggling with the, with the substances is, you know, with recovery, I was all in. I was just, I was, you know, I, I, I typically don't do something kind of halfway. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to be extreme about it. And, uh, one of the traits that we know, uh, kind of exists amongst us. And, uh, and so I, uh, I went all in on recovery and, uh, and, and, you know, to, the words that you kind of hit on Monte is, is I I had to get humble and, uh, and kind of understand humility and, and realize that things don't come free and it's not just lucky or unlucky that we kind of have to create that, uh, create that luck. I mean, I, I still have some beliefs in kind of how things work out that way, but at the end of the day, we have the ability to affect a certain amount of things on this planet and and we have to figure out which ones those are, and then we have to put a a strong effort into to kind of creating the outcomes that we're looking for, but we also have to understand that we don't have all the answers and uh sometimes we just have to have faith um and mm-hmm. believe that uh if we do the right things it'll work out
2: yeah yeah absolutely yeah well i'll let you I'll let you go r j on this mm-hmm. that, that that was that was that was that was heavy yeah. That- <laughs>
1: Thank, thank yeah. you for sharing your story with us. That's uh, <clears throat> it's not always easy to get a, in front of a, you know, people that you just met like me, or I mean, the people who may be watching this, and tell about yourself and your vulnerabilities. But um, one thing that we talk about here is finding like our new, um, a new hobby or uh, some place to put your energy that you used to be able to put drinking. Was there anything new that you picked up? uh, as you were hitting recovery. And I mean, I know that you said you, uh, started a recruiting business. So was it, you put yourself into work a little bit. That's what I did at the start was I like put myself all into work. And
0: mm. yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I started with the things I knew I had gotten to a point where I really wasn't playing soccer anymore. And, uh, I was also a guy who loved playing pickup basketball and I wasn't doing mm-hmm. that any- anymore. Cause you know, I was spending all my time figuring out other ways to, to, to either be working or drinking or problem solving the the problems that I was creating. And I think that, um, so yeah, I went back into a few things pretty heavy. I went back into sports again, pretty heavy. I was in early recovery. I was playing soccer, uh, you know, five days a week again, and and mm-hmm. kind of got back in shape, which was really good for me. Cause it helped, uh, you know, the self-esteem. I, I think one of the things that when people talk about the consequences of these things, you often hear that people talk about relationships and they talk about, you know, employment and they talk about health. But I think one of the biggest things that we need to continue to talk about and kind of really focus on is, is, you know, people who struggle with any of these things, whether it's mental health or substance abuse or any other type of compulsive behavior, that I think maybe the most severe consequence of that is the breakdown of how we feel about ourselves. Uh, you know, we, we feel so bad about ourselves and, Yet we put it out to the world that everything's great and uh and meanwhile and that's kinda sometimes when you see families and they're they're saying like, Oh well we need to apply more pressure on this person. If we do that, then they'll, you know, they don't even know they're doing something wrong. And at the end of the day, we may not consciously know it, but deep down, we all know, right? Yeah. We all know that we're doing things that, uh, that aren't good for us. And so I tried to find things that would help me build that up again. I tried to. Find, I was aware of that. I understood that that was one of the things that, that had been broken down. And so soccer was a good one. It always provided a, a lot of uh, positive things in my life. Uh, and then I also, as you said, you know, starting the company was really out of desperation. I uh, I was I was several hundred thousands of dollars in debt, and uh, and I could have gone out and gotten a good paying job, but the truth is, is I needed to a, a good paying job wasn't going to get it done. I had to it was going to take me you know 25 or 30 years to get out of the hole I had. I had so I kind of had to had to swing for the fences a little bit and and uh, and start a, a company that I thought had the you know it was risky, right? It was it was mm-hmm. a risky move. Uh, and, uh, and I, uh, fortunately it it turned out and the company did well and we did well and, and it allowed me to do now what I think is, you know, become my life's work, which is just, uh, to, to work with people who are struggling, uh, kind of across the board. And, uh, but yeah, I'd say soccer work, uh, and, uh, and, and I think I just threw myself into recovery. I mean, I think I took a lot of that energy and I went, you know, I went straight there and I. I went to meetings and i got to know people in the community and uh and i allowed myself to connect to people uh and the the freedom of being able to just be honest you know one of my favorite quotes is is the best thing about telling the truth is you don't have to remember anything right Mm. and uh and it's beautiful because that that weight coming off me of having tried to remember what i said or where i was and all that kind of stuff and i didn't need to do that anymore i was like wow what a great way to live, you know? And, uh, and so that's, that's made life a lot easier for
2: Absolutely. me. Absolutely. My goodness, man. I think, uh, I, I love, I love what you, I love what you said, everything that you said, I love, but you really, you really struck a nerve in a good way. Um, of, of, of when you talked about the whole self-esteem part of it, mm-hmm. um, I do think that is that it, plays a very pivotal role in my opinion in folks's recovery journey or even jump starting that recovery journey because as we all know the hardest part is at the beginning mm-hmm. right um the hardest part is being a weekend hardest part is being a month and because you're like okay am I is this something I'm gonna be able to do for the rest of my life mm-hmm. um, and I do think self-esteem is a huge part because some programs out there right um we know of some of those programs where They are strictly for folks in recovery, but all they do is work out, right? Uh It's like this workout group Uh that they they'll work out in this facility, or they'll plan a workout in another state, just to help people to get get in shape, get fit, feel good about yourself. Because as we all know, look good, feel good, Uh right? Uh Um, I I so I guess I'm I'm just I love what you stated right there because self esteem is huge, um, and and just a big part of all this. So when we talk about millennium Derek uh, I know that a lot of our conversations that we've had uh, r- because we're both former athletes we both understand sort of that um, athlete mentality uh, um, when it comes to the pressures when it comes to the pressures of performing on the field the societal pressures uh, maybe f- familial pressures that may come into play um, so what are some of the things that you guys really you know specialize in? there at millennium and, and how do you, how do you work towards catering towards, not, not catering, but how do you work towards really focusing, having a hyper focus on, on athletes?
0: Yeah. You know, we've got uh millennium was kind of built on the, uh, on the, I guess the areas of, of trauma and compulsive, you know, compulsive behavior disorders. And uh, you know, and, and some of that being on the process side. So eating, sex and love you know along those ends and then and then also substance abuse and i think that uh when there's some you know what i always do in societies i look for missing i look for holes where we're not filling that hole right i look for areas where and not even not so much from a business standpoint but more from a uh you know whatever i'm trying to accomplish and there's certain things that are set up already that are going to be helpful for that and uh uh, but I think there's always just some little missing pieces, right? There's some little areas that, that aren't handled that well. So one of the things we did is we started an intensive program, not specifically for athletes, but an intensive program that uh, really tries to help people who are coming out of treatment. It's uh, it's it's really individually based. Uh, we do a, a lot of individual work versus group work, and you know, in the they're they're kind of typically in society called IOPs, intensive outpatient programs, and ours is uh, is one that's just you know kind of focused toward the individual and. And well, with one on one counseling, um, we also do a lot of trauma work. Most of our staff is EMDR trained, and uh, we do. So you, we're kind of known for the trauma. But then about five years ago, we started this division, Monte, you that you're talking about. We started a division specifically for athletes. And because uh, and, one of the things we saw is, is that the expectations on athletes, uh, not just, you know, kind of from life, but if they're dealing with something difficult you know with athletes and uh you know i think sometimes people think like ah well they they got you know being an athlete's the best right you get a, you get free college and you you know people know who you are and but it, there's a flip side to that and that is i think the expectation that when anything hard comes along all you do is just try harder right you push harder you try harder you work more and uh and w- which works well right it works well for a lot of people but if we're talking about people who have deeper deeper challenges that they're facing. If you're talking about somebody who's, who's dealing truly dealing with substance abuse or truly dealing with mental health, uh, depression, anxiety, bipolar, any of those things, then, you know, just trying harder, isn't going to get you there, right? It's not gonna, it's not going to get you to where you want to be. And so uh, we, we kind of thought through that and, and said, all right, so, if I'm an athlete, I'm 20 years old, 21 years old. Uh, I had worked with several former pro athletes and, and that's kind of what brought this all about. I worked with a couple of recording artists and what I realized is, is that with these groups of folks, uh, there was always, always been had been this, this idea that if you just tried harder, then you'd be okay. And they didn't really know how to navigate it through it in another way. And, um, so we, you know, we, we, we decided that, uh, you know, the best way to get athletes to listen to us is to is to have former athletes talking to them. There's some sort of connection about that. And so what we did is we built a program that that c- consists uh, almost entirely of former Division One athletes who are now therapists. And so our our former athletes turned therapists who who are now master's level therapists. Uh, we will work with, directly with colleges or individuals. Um, we've partnered with a, with a few colleges and. I'm really impressed with some of these schools, uh, UIC, University of Illinois, Chicago in particular, because they've gotten way out at in front of this and they're they're addressing that need and they're looking at uh you know what do our what are our what do our student athletes need? And so, you know, we provide they uh you know they provide the athletes' mental health treatment and mental health counseling um for all levels. And mm. so I think that uh yeah, the athlete is definitely a very interesting one to me because I think that there's there's some oversight there thinking that uh, that you know, if you're if you're doing well on the field, then you must not have any problems. And that's why I connected so well with your book, Monte, is because I think that you know, if you're uh, you're a well-known name, highly highly successful, and then you know, you're you're kind of like, well, what what happened there, right? Did he get hurt? What you know? And then I think you addressed all of that, and and you brought it to the forefront in in an amazing way because it allows people to see that. It it doesn't it doesn't matter who you are, you know. If uh, this 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 doesn't pick and choose, it doesn't. It's not on race or religion or or economics. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, you have uh, you see people of of all shapes, sizes, colors, backgrounds uh, who deal with this, and and you know you just never know if you're going to be one of them. And so I think if we can let more people know about it and share information and provide support, um, then you know, we can, we can decrease the idea that this is something that only hits certain types of folks. And, uh, cause it's, it, it's not true. And that's why I, I really, I love what you're doing because I think it's so important and, uh, and it gives people, uh, I, I, I'm not even sure, you know, how many people out there you're helping. I'm not even sure you, cause you're a humble guy. I love that about you, but I'm not even, I'm not even sure, you know, how many people out there probably are considering listening or talking about this or going to get some help. Um, because you made it okay for them to do that. And uh and we continue to have people who are making it okay to do
2: that. I mean I I I, I gotta give credit. Uh again, thank you so much. But uh, I mean with, with RJ in my life, and I'm not just saying this because he's he's what, a couple feet away from me right <laughs> a couple now. Couple doors. But um yeah, a couple doors, but he knows for sure how important he's has been, extremely important in my life. I think without him. And without my family, there it's a hundred percent fact. I would not be where I am today. Um, and RJ's vision with this podcast um, is is what helps me out too. Uh, just just makes me more accountable. Um, and and so I, I love the fact that us three right here all have this vision, this mission to help. Right, because we get it, we understand that addiction, um, mental health, all of the above does not discriminate, and and that's. I just wanted to throw that out there because I I, am feeling really good right now. This uh-huh. conversation is making me feel really good, Derek. Oh, uh-huh.
0: <laughs> well, good, yeah. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I think there there's key people, right? There's key people in my life. There's uh my it, it, you know amazingly enough my ex-wife was one of the people who was very supportive and i'm still very good friends with her we we split on on about the best terms you could and then i'm remarried now and my uh my wife is, is who encouraged me to go back to school and take a chance and and supported that and and uh and then i've got you know my family of course and then several several really good friends who were supportive and i think the message there is that uh you know, we need to do the work. The person who's struggling needs to do the work. But the thing that I always tell the people I work with is I I say to them, I say, listen, I will work as hard as you do. Mm. If you go all in on this, I will go all in on this. But if you're going 60%, then that's what you can expect from me. So if you really want to get the most out of this, then you drive that. You control that, right? Um, if somebody's going at it 100% and they call me at midnight, I'll pick up the phone and I'll talk to them. Uh, you know, if somebody's... Uh, it, So I think that the message to the people who are in people's lives who are struggling with this is, is uh, we don't need to, uh, we don't need people to not hold us accountable. But I think that when people are holding themselves accountable, then we need to support that because the people who, uh, the people who supported me, you're exactly right. People like RJ to you, Monte, and and similar people in my life, like there's no way I would have without, I would have never stayed in a good place. I just wouldn't have, you know.
2: Yeah. yeah, that accountability piece. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not as if, you know, I, I am in need of that accountability because I, I, I'm, I'm true to it, but it, it it's, it's helpful in the journey. It's helpful in the recovery journey because this is an everlasting process of myself, yourself, all three of us learning about each other. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to shut up here for a bit. I want to, <laughs> I want to hear what RJ's got to say.
1: <laughs> so. Well, You know, uh, so we have someone in chat who's, uh, Jenny, she tunes in all the time. She's very, uh, she's also a streamer who talks about like feeling words and in the mental health and she's, she's really awesome. Um, she was, she has a question, uh, about, uh, do you guys include peer support in your, um, offerings at all? Like, uh, I mean, I know you have former athletes that help the athletes and that, that in and of itself is great. Like you're in recovery, that's a form of peer support, right? Being there. But uh how how much do you think peer support really uh I mean honestly helps? I mean Monte and I are talking about this, but like the amount of that's basically what we're providing is like peer support, that yeah. right? yeah. letting other people know they're not alone. And um mm-hmm. I guess if you could just, you know, do you do you offer uh some peer support services or those to do you leave those to other outside sources?
0: No, we definitely do. I mean, it's it's really important. And so we do it in a couple ways, uh, depending on the, uh, specifically to the athlete side, uh, you know, depending on the school that we're working with, what we do is we help them either they have a peer support group already set up, or we help them set that up. But we understand how important that is. And, and, uh, you know, how, how powerful that can be. We also do, uh, when we're working with schools, we also do like a weekly uh, basically drop-in group, which has, uh, which, which we don't really say much. Uh, this is all, this is all the student athletes who are there together. And, uh, so it's, uh, and, and that's a form of, of a way that we have that we provide the structure and gives them kind of the floor to do that. And then you generally, we can find different people who are willing to step up and kind of be leaders in that space. And, uh, there's a lot of really sharp young people these days who understand this and, Who are willing to try to help so it's a great question and super important Mm -hmm. and uh you know i mean it's the same if you think about it right it's the same reason why support groups like 12 step and things like that work right that's what it's all about it's all about finding others who are who are facing the same thing so yeah Mm -hmm. it looks a little bit different depending on the group that we're working with but it's always a piece of it it's always a part of it and uh yeah i'm i'm I can tell Jenny knows what she's talking about because it is super important and a great question to ask about. So, uh, yeah, so absolutely. The answer is absolutely, yes, we do. The form that it comes in varies a little bit, but uh, we understand that that's that's necessary. And, uh, you know, we find people who are are willing to help out with that, who are peers of the folks we're working with uh, amongst Mm -hmm. themselves. Yeah.
1: So uh, one thing that I love that you talked about at the beginning was the connection and you knew it then and i think we're you know we're learning more about it every year but the connection between mental health and like our our compulsive behaviors or substance dependency abuse and all this and what we where we put that have you noticed like kind of how we're noticing that honestly nothing about the human psyche is black and white right it's a, it's a spectrum and when we talk about gender genders we're now realizing gender is a spectrum you don't just have man and woman, male and female. They're just these roles that we archaically put on people. Have you noticed, like with uh, you know, a lot of people's uh, recovery or sobriety, that there there really is that spectrum that exists. That um, and then you know you find yourself on there, and how how much of it's mental health, and then the environment you're in, and stuff like that.
0: Hmm. Absolutely, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it, well, well, I'll talk about just kind of the substance abuse piece for a quick second. But yeah, I mean, I I think you're exactly right. I think everything's on a spectrum. And I think that one of the ways that people stay unhealthy is they find other people on the spectrum who are farther down the, the line and they say, well, that's that's what that looks like. That, that, you know, here's what an alcoholic looks like. It looks like that person. And I don't do those things, so I must be okay. right? right? Yeah. And, so, and you're exactly right. It's not black and white. And, uh, and, and the, the question is not whether you're like that person. The question is whether you know, is your life being affected negatively and are you having consequences, you know, kind of amongst the things that we talked about. When I'm working with somebody in substance abuse, I spend very little time on the frequency and amount they are using. Uh, I spend much more time on, on the effect that it's having on their life. You know, I had a a friend of mine, not a client that I worked with, but a friend of mine drank, drank twice in a year and, uh, and, and cheated on his wife and lost his marriage, uh, got in a car accident and, uh, got in legal trouble and called his boss and, uh, you know, FU'd him all over the place and lost his job. So two times drinking, lost his wife, got in legal trouble, lost his job. And, but the point was, well, I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't drink twice a year. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but those two times have created, you know, this much havoc in your life. And so I think that, uh, yeah, it's the spectrum of that. I, I think that in this industry or this, uh, this field that I'm in, I guess not industry, but, uh, it's, I kind of had, when I first got involved in this more, it seemed like there was kind of two different schools of thought. There was one school that this is a genetic thing. And uh you either have it or you don't, and it's just a, a matter of time. And then there's a whole nother piece that's like everything's trauma, right? It's all based on things that have happened in your life, uh, whether it's from mental health or whether it's from abuse or whether it's from a divorce or whatever. And uh and I think that uh quite honestly I I think it can be either of those and I also think it can be both. I think that we're we're we are we we do not all have the same path. And mm-hmm. you know, I know when people were talking to me early on about trauma, I look back on my life and I'm like I can't, you know, my life had been great, right? Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have, I didn't have something I could point to to say, this is why I ended up the where that I did. And so I think that, yeah, those lines are blurred for sure. And, uh, you know, I think that the, the, the the more we move towards that understanding that, uh, that these things aren't isolated and, and just one thing, it's kind of like this, you have somebody who's an alcoholic and they say, all right, well, I'll stop drinking alcohol. But, I'm just going to smoke a lot of weed because that wasn't a problem I, I didn 't even like weed, so I 'll just smoke a lot of weed right and, yeah. and uh, what we know is that doesn't work right it, it doesn't work right people you very rarely I, I don't know that i've ever seen somebody who has successfully switched from one substance to another and either either not started treating that substance like the old one or going back to the original one in the first place so That's um, addiction. yes absolutely so.
2: Cross addiction. I love what you explained right there, because I, I, as you were talking, I was envisioning uh, the Venn diagram, right? There's yep. there's uh, you're, you're going to see about I'm not going to throw out a percentage because I obviously don't know. But <laughs> a lot of folks are going to be there right there in the middle. Right. If we talk uh-huh. about, you know, mental health addiction or whether it's nature versus nurture, um, we predispose predisposition, excuse me. Um, what have you been exposed to in your past? Um, that may be trying to creep its way to the forefront of your mind right now. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot there. And that's why I have so much respect for, for folks like yourself, folks in this who've really put the work in, did the education, started their own mental health uh business, or whether you are just a therapist, psychiatric work at a at a mental health uh, facility, what have you, because We're still learning. Mm -hmm. There's still so much more to learn. I mean, I think of the iceberg, right? We're just we're just right at the tip, still trying to figure out so much. So again, it's it's just remarkable how many people that you guys have already helped who you're going to help with the information that we still really don't really have. Um, Um, so it's just pretty cool, man. It 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 really is. So speaking about millennium, man, got a question for you. So like since, since you know you took over, since you purchased, uh, and now you are the owner of 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 the place of Millennium. Um, how have those success stories been, Mem? I mean, obviously, we're not asking for names or anything, but like helping folks out and then them reaching back out to you, what six months down the road, a year down the road. I'm sure you've had that. How how has that been?
0: Yeah, what I. I- I love it. I, uh, you know, it's why I do it, right. It's because you, you have this and we have an unbelievable team. I, I think that, uh, being, uh, getting hired with us is very difficult. It's a difficult process. And, you know, we have a lot of people, a lot of people that end up with us interned with us. So we know them really well. And then we ultimately end up, you know, kind of bringing them on after they're done. But I think that, uh, you know, I think that, The the fact that we are top to bottom, we've got, I think, a total of 15 people now, not all of them uh, therapists, maybe 12 or or so are therapists. But I think that just, uh, you know, really quality people, finding people who are smart and compassionate and uh, have some sort of life experience with this. It doesn't need to be your own personal life, but just some sort of understanding of this. People that have done their own work, people have done their own therapy. And uh, so, but uh, yeah, I think that it's... um, I, I got some great advice when I began this. This was from actually my sponsor. And he said, listen, Derek, don't ever start to believe that you're the reason. We were talking about people burning out and things like that. And he said, uh, don't ever start to believe you're the reason why people get better. This isn't you. This isn't you. You're a resource. And he said, but if you're able to do that, you're also not going to think you're the reason that they don't. And uh, and I think that that's kind of the attitude that I've had is, is that I've got, I, I can I can provide you information. I can provide you support. I can provide you somebody who is a safe place to talk to and somebody who I know you can trust. I know I'm not going to break your trust, uh, and we can do those things. But at the end of the day, it still comes back to the person and uh, whether they're ready. You know, we can you can get people to the, the the best therapist in the country, and if somebody's not ready, then they're they're probably not going to be get you know be able to get there. So mm-hmm. I think that when they are ready. When they're ready, we need to be all in. That's when we need to be, you know, because it's so hard to ask for help. It's so hard to make that first call. Uh, when somebody calls Millennium, either myself or my partner, we call them back. One of the two of us. One of the two owners will call you back if you call Millennium and ask us about our services. And, uh, and the reason we do that is is because we know how hard that is. We know there's we know everybody who we work with better than anybody because we've been working with them for the longest and we know how to get them to the right person who's gonna give them the best chance at uh at, at getting healthy. And uh so yeah, I love the success stories of course and and, and uh and the statistics aren't on our side, right? right? It's not the statistics aren't on our side. So what we try to do is try to change that, you know. We try to say, All right, listen everybody says that there's you know too many people can't get well and we say all right so how do we challenge that what do we do that gives people a better odds how do we increase the odds and Mm -hmm. and uh you know how do we how do we give them and part of that is being accessible and uh and and having i think people who work with us would genuinely understand that we absolutely care about them and that they can always reach out to us and we will provide that support and so uh yeah, it's, I love it. Uh, I, you know, I think it's such a beautiful, I just think that this whole recovery overarching, not just on substance abuse side, mental health is such an amazing, beautiful thing that, uh, and when people used to say that to me when I was in early recovery, I, I, it would annoy me. I'd be like, whatever, this is not a beautiful thing. This is, this is, you know, this is a disaster. This is why I'm here. And, uh, yeah. but if you, uh, if you allow yourself to, to get better, right, if you allow yourself to, to have help, if you allow, allow yourself to do the work, and if you allow yourself to to give in a little bit and be open minded and be willing, then there's an unlimited of positivity that we can get out of this. You know, I'm, I'm 17 years sober, and every single year, I figure out more about what I'm getting out of this that I didn't think was was possible. And uh, so I get it that that sounds cheesy, and that some people might be wincing when I say that, because it's tough to hear when you're in early recovery. But I can say that in full confidence because I know it's not just my opinion. This is a fact. This is a fact that if you look at people who are putting in the work, a hundred percent of them will tell you that their life is better than it was when they were living in active addiction or, you know, active, uh, active illness and mental health. Absolutely.
2: Uh, absolutely. Uh, yes. That's all. That's all I had right there. Yeah, is, is, is just to agree to that part. Yes. Um,
1: yeah, I mean it was it was hard to hear at first, right? I didn't I mean I've been very vocal about this. I didn't call myself an alcoholic when I first mm. got sober. I was huh? just I didn't drink. I I don't drink. I don't drink. Like huh? but since we started the podcast, those it was like it was like months after we started the podcast, I finally called myself an alcoholic. And we've talked about it too like saying it out loud, vocalizing it takes some power away from things and it was like that was the moment that i went from just being sober and entered kind of recovery like that was a moment that my mind was like mm-hmm. okay it's not just the alcohol that you were using you know you were using it to to numb your feelings you know you were using it to escape your reality well, why and then you know this this podcast has helped me more than anything else in uh my sobriety and I'm approaching eight years and we've only been doing this podcast for almost two. I mean, we're like four months away from two years. So I've only been in recovery of my eight years of sobriety for, you know, a quarter of it. Not even, not not even Uh close to a quarter of it. And just like removing that stigma. That's what's really exciting about seeing these athletes too, coming out and talking about it. Is it's removing that stigma and people like Mons telling his story and being so vulnerable. And, like you said, giving people permission to vocalize it about themselves yeah. and use it, and knowing that you're not alone, and we've talked about that too it really you're you're absolutely right, and it like even up until uh, a year and a half ago, I still wouldn't have i would have cringed hearing that because huh. I wouldn't have understood and it it it's just yeah that's there's so much power in the words in your words and what you yeah. said. It's it really is beautiful. Um, so, there. I, I do have a question. Oh, go oh, for you it. Go ahead. No, go. Ahead. go no, 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 no.
2: Oh, I didn't go, know that you had one. Go for uh, sorry. it. Yep, yep. <laughs> oh, my my bad, man. Uh, I, I wanted to get. Um, uh, so uh, we received some. We we receive a good amount of messages. Um, to our unkept untapped cake pages, uh, our personal pages as well, and and the one that I receive a lot, Derek, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, like your own personal experiences with this. Um. When you were maybe a couple months in to your recovery, right? And and as we've talked about today, there's a spectrum with everything. So there's a spectrum with um, um, what word am I looking for? Sorry, um, what is it? When when you when wow, I cannot believe I'm drawing a blank here. Um, when when withdrawals? Thank you. Wow. <laughs> spectrum with withdrawals, right? So let's say you're a month or two months into your recovery. Um, and again, the spectrum. Everyone has it differently when you had that urge, when you felt that urge to get back to the bottle or get back to drinking, what have you, what was it that stopped you? You know what I mean? Like, what was it that stopped you? Like, in the moment when you were like, you know what? Because again, you you can no longer numb those feelings, but life is still going to happen, right? You're still going to have bills. You're still going to have people calling you who you don't want to mess with. All that stuff is still going to happen, but you can't have the bottle. So like, what in the moment stopped you from reaching for the bottle
0: yeah yeah i think uh i mean this brings up a a really uh, (laughs) for me this brings up a really interesting piece of this because i think that when when people uh if i'll have people say listen i don't know if i have a problem or not you know friends family people i know people that i work with whatever i don't know if i have a problem or not and the first question i always ask them is i say tell me tell me about the internal debate in your head. Mm. And uh, and they say, what do you mean? And I say, you know, that back and forth, right? I, you know, uh, you know, people use devil angel, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, good, bad. And I say, tell me about that. You know, mm-hmm. does that exist for you? And 100% of people who are dealing with particularly addiction will say, oh, yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, it's back and forth. It's brutal. It's brutal. And I think that one of the things that happens, uh, you know, kind of I guess philosophically from a standpoint for people who are dealing with substance abuse, this works with depression, anxiety as well, but it's that there's, there's a, there's not a clear cut line as to which side you're going to listen to. You know, I think when we're all 10 years old, our good side is 90% and our bad side is 10% or, you know, our devil angel, however you want to call it, but that kind of internal debate, right? Sometimes I even look at it like Congress. I look at it like we've got these two sides of Congress in our head, right. and what we want to do is try to – and so a subject comes up, and we, we, we want to vote on it, right? So to your point, Monte, I'm three months over. I'm walking down the street. I walk by a liquor store, and now I've got part of me that's saying, you can't do this. You're three months over. You don't drink anymore. And I got another part of me that says, what's the point? This doesn't, this doesn't or, or the, the outcome will be different. There's one of two reasons, right? Mm-hmm. The outcome will be different or I know it's going to be a disaster and I don't care. I'm willing to I, I'm willing to trash everything. That's mm-hmm. one point or or uh, nobody will know. I'll only drink a little bit, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff that, that, that comes in. And I think that the number one most powerful thing we can do is is one, acknowledge that we have this internal debate in our head Two, learn how to differentiate which side is talking and three never listen to the bad side. And 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 that sounds simple, but part of that is understanding that this exists. And then to to make sure that happens, you connect with you bring in a third voice, right? You bring in a third voice. So I've got one side saying I should go drink right now. I got another side that says I need to stay sober. And so what do I do? I, I call Monte and I say, here's what I'm doing right now. And then now all of a sudden the vote gets shifted because now I've got two, two pieces of me saying, uh, don't do that. And I've got one piece saying, it's just that, that little time in there in the middle that we have to shift back because there's nobody who's in recovery who really wants to use again. We don't Mm -hmm. really want to use again. We just get to that point where we can, uh, you know, we can make self-destructive. And here's the thing that a lot of people who don't, you know, aren't in this world don't understand is we have the ability to make self-destructive decisions, but in that moment, they make sense. It's mm-hmm. not just that we're saying this is, mm-hmm. we, we think we somehow are able to justify that and say, this mm-hmm. is a good idea right now. You know, I, I know I just went to treatment and I'm three months over, but let me tell you why this is a good idea that I walk into this liquor store and buy a bottle of booze and, uh, and, and it's confusing because how, how do we, how do we get to that? Right. So yeah. I think, uh, and then the other thing to, to your point, Monte is I think we have to prepare for that. I think we have to do the work beforehand because if we get to that point, uh, Think of it this way, for, for me to go pick up a drink, I have to listen to the, the addict in my head, like eight or nine times. I have to lie to my wife about where I'm going. I have to, you know, I have to walk down the liquor aisle. I have to bring it up to the counter. I have to, you know, all I have to do, I have to make so many decisions that are, are not with the core of who I'm trying to be now. You know, I have to say no to the good side of my brain eight or nine times before I actually put a bottle to my mouth. And so, but it gets exponentially harder as you go down the line, right? If I start with, my wife says, I'm, uh, where are you going right now? And I say, well, I'd like to go to the store and buy some booze. And she'd be like, no, we're not doing that. And then guess what? I'm not going to drink. Yeah. But if I, as I go down that line, but the expectation that we're going to be sitting there with a bottle in front of us and that somehow we're going to muster up enough willpower to not drink at that point is, uh, it, it can be done, but I don't recommend it. We have to say no before then. We have to bring in another voice and we have to do the work. We have to be proactive knowing this is going to happen. And to anybody out there who's in early recovery, just because you think about it or feel like you want to use does not mean anything bad. That's normal. It's normal to want to do that. The thing we have to do is just do everything. You know, the thing I always tell people is protect, protect your sobriety, protect it. You have to protect it with everything that you have. If, if you have to put yourself in a situation where you you know have to hang out with somebody that you don't even like, but it's going to keep you sober, then you do that. So we have to go to any length to protect that and make sure we're doing that. So I think it's it's being uh, you know it's kind of getting out in front of it. It's having resources of people to uh, to call. So it's it's being proactive. It's having resources, of people to reach out to if we get in trouble. And then the last thing is understanding how our own inner inner thought process works and being aware of how that, you know, how that kind of plays out and what do we need to do to make sure we end up on the right side
1: of things. Mm -hmm. So one, we, Jenny asked another question that's really good. Um, how do you refer to, uh, relapses? Because one thing that we've talked about and we still sometimes talk about is you still have those days before where you were sober, you still have all those victories. So let's, how do you refer to a relapse with uh people that you're working with
0: yeah this is an area that i think uh i think sometimes we get this backwards a little bit i think that uh we have uh we kind of talk through things like that you know that using again is is you know it's not the best option but it's always an option right it's always Mm -hmm. an option for us and then and then if we do that, then we're super hard on ourselves and we beat ourselves up and there's a bunch of shame and guilt and regret and, and, and we kind of pound ourselves like we do with things. I, I feel like we need to flip that. And what I mean by that is, is I think that right now, as three of us sit here, of people who are in sobriety, we have to know that there's, this is not an option for us. This is not negotiable. This is not something that I can do it if this happens. Our, our, our thought process has to be, this is not, this is not an option. Right. Mm-hmm. This, we cannot do this. It's, it's, it, uh, it, it's just not on the table. Now, let's say whatever happens, you end up there, you go and you use. That's when we have to be kind and loving to ourselves and, and, and give ourselves, uh, support. And, uh, because shame and guilt lead us back to using again. If you wake up one day and you use the day before and you're beating this, you know, beating yourself up and feeling terrible about it, then the likelihood that you're going to go use again is, is through the roof. Right. Um, so I'll tell you an analogy that I love, and this is how I look at it. Uh, this is not mine. I'm not taking credit for it, but I do like it is that, uh, you know, recovery is like riding a bike from New York to California. And if you're riding the bike and you fall off in Chicago, then you don't have to go back to New York and start mm. your journey again. Um, but if you ever want to get to California, you can't also just lay on the ground. And you can't start pedaling back towards New York. What you have to do is you have to get back on the bike and you have to continue on your journey. And uh, I think that I don't think relapse has to be a part of everybody's process. I do know that it is a part of many people's process. Uh, but I think we just have to understand that uh, you're, to your point, RJ, we don't lose all that. We don't lose everything that we learned. And and, and this idea that you start over again, uh, I think is, is harmful to us. Uh, because I think it, it, it makes it too easy. If you're, if you're a year sober and you use, and then the next day you wake up and you say, well, I'm back to day one again, then the thought process is going to be, well, okay, well, I can start day one again tomorrow. I'll just drink today and then I'll quit tomorrow and then I'll quit tomorrow and then I'll quit tomorrow. And so I think we have to understand we are part of the way through the process, whether you use or not. Uh, the other thing I'll say about relapse that I think is really important is that I mentioned this earlier if you relapse, it's it's, it's, I mean, this is simplifying it, but it's really for one of two reasons. It's either a, you think the outcome is going to be different. You think somehow this is not going to turn out the way that it's turned out in the past. There's going to be either no one will know, or I'll drink less, or it's not going to be a problem anymore. So anyway, it's all first step stuff, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's I think that the outcome Absolutely. will be different. That's one part. And that's about 90% of the people relapse fall into that category. And then there's another 10% who fall into the category of, I understand this is blowing up my life. I know that this is going to ruin my life if I, if I do this again. But guess what? I don't care. I, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm giving up, right? Mm-hmm. And there's an antidote for both of those. And the antidote for the first side is exactly what people do in first step work. Uh, and, and also, you know, Smart Recovery has a great program for this as well. It's, it's you know, I think all the support programs kind of address this is, is that we have to be, learn how to be honest with ourselves about how this is going to turn out. Yeah. because if we could use or drink normally we would have been doing that a lot we wouldn't be here we wouldn't yeah. be in this position if we had the ability to do that <laughs> right, <laughs> right? Um, and then the, the antidote for the other side is gratitude that's that's the antidote for not wanting to give up is is that we have to learn how to recognize the good in our lives and value those things and uh, uh, you know I've always said if I ever use again
2: I'm not gonna lie about it
0: I'm not gonna hide it I' I've I don't believe I ever will. I I can't see why that I would. But if I do, I'm not going to try to in quotes get away with it. I would go and I would I would step away from my marriage and I would leave my job and I would tell my friends, listen, guys, it was a you know I appreciate you, but you know I'm going back. Like I said, I have never found a reason to do that. But the reason that I don't is because. I realize all the gifts that I get from not doing that. So I'm um, not sure if that totally answers the question, but that's what I would say about it. Uh, that
2: most that most definitely answers the question. I love <laughs> love that analogy. Uh, we're most definitely going to be using that bad boy. I really uh-huh. like that. And I also think the another very important part of all of that was important, but the part that right there at the end, you just stating, you don't see yourself relapsing, but essentially what you're saying is, but you know, if that, did happen you would just be honest with those Uh who are closest to you those who you love and trust and i think that's a huge huge piece right there uh um because i feel exactly the same way i don't see myself i really don't see myself at all no reason for me to go back to the bottle but i i know i know that i got people like rj my parents both of my sisters who i could tell them Uh if i did and they would and i know that they wouldn't be upset with me Or angry with me at all, and I and and I truly hope. Obviously, everybody out there doesn't have that, but creating that creating that community is important. Very, very important for your journey.
0: There's no easier place to make friends than the recovery community. (laughs) Uh,
2: It's so true.
1: It's so true.
0: (laughs) Does everybody want? Friends, we all want more friends in the recovery community, right? We've we've blown so many things up that we're like new friends, fantastic! So
2: So many bridges have been burnt. It's like, that's right, (laughs) it's like, wait, there's a new bridge, I can can use (laughs) it, yeah, so true, (laughs) exactly.
1: Um, so Derek, thank you for answering that, getting like extremely serious with us. Um, I I have a question about your athletic uh, program that you're putting together for, uh, you know, therapy and helping out athletes. What, Where do you ultimately see this program? Like, what would you like to see at, let's say, we'll start at a high school level? Because I think that's when sports get really serious. And then you go to the collegiate level. How would you like to see things a little different there? And then the professional level. What do you think teams don't take into account?
0: I think that most organizations, high school, college, professional, it gets better as you go up, but but they try to provide resources for these folks uh, who, who need those. So you look at, uh, you know, we've got personal trainers, we've got, you know, athletic trainers, we've got mm-hmm. academic advisors, we've got tutors, we've got you know, so depending on the level, you've got more of those, right. And, mm-hmm. and on the pro level, you've got kind of handlers, right. you got people that may just make sure you're on the right track. And I don't know what they call them. Monte probably knows in the NFL what they call them, but people who just make sure that you're, you know, that you're where you need to be and doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're not getting in trouble. And, uh, you know, I think that, I think we need to include mental health as, as just as, you know, as just as serious of a thing. I mean, my, I will tell you that, that, I don't know the statistics on this, but I'm almost 100% sure I'm right, that there are more mental health issues in college athletes than there are injuries, meaning that the the, the need for mental health support is at least as great, if not greater, than the the athletic trainers and the health and strength and conditioning coaches and, and those types of things. And I don't say that to say that those aren't important. They are important. You need to have all those people. You need to have that whole process. But what I would like to see... Is that these organizations take the mental health as serious as they do these other things? And, and like mm-hmm. I said, I mentioned UIC earlier. Uh, UIC has done an amazing job. They got out in front of us. You know, they they started talking about this several years ago, even before the pandemic. And uh, and 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 the pandemic has just blown it up even more, right? Mm-hmm. So you've got all these folks who who are struggling, and these these uh, you know these college um, you know counseling centers they're just inundated. They're overflowed. And so if you try to, as a Mm. student, if you try to go and get counseling at a college, they're going to say, we'll see you in eight weeks. And, uh, and and not everybody has eight weeks, Right. So, Mm. um, I would just like to see everybody make it a priority. I think we can do that. What we know how to do is we can come in and help organizations address their mental health and do it in a way that's cost-effective and also, uh, really, really helpful. And we've seen that with the organizations. We work with some called soccer teams as well. Um, and ideally, what I would like to see is that we go and do this nationally. And that one of two things happens, and I don't really care which. Either colleges address it themselves, and they, they, they hire an internal team that does exactly what I'm talking about, or they utilize somebody like us who has it already set up for you. Uh, you know, It's kind of like a business. I can either hire an accountant And and internally and have somebody be our CFO, or I I can use an accounting firm to do all my accounting for me and I can outsource it. And realistically, I don't really, I don't care. I don't care which way they do it. I just want to make sure it gets addressed. And I want to make sure these folks have that support because we have seen this over the last several years that we've been doing this. The need is astronomical. It's astronomical. And the beautiful thing is with these young people, they don't have the same stigma we did. They don't, they don't have it. Yes. They they talk about it freely. You know, most of the people That's who awesome. see us when we work with these, yeah. When we work with these colleges and clubs, most of the kids who come in and see us and kids, I mean, some of them are 21, 22, right? They're not kids, <laughs> but uh, they they come to us because one of their teammates, friends uh, told them about working with us and now they come to us. And and so it's referrals within the peer group. I mean, how amazing right. is that, that you can get referrals within the peer group of people who because they had a good experience. And so uh, that's what I would like to see. I would like to see it one of the main pillars of how we address this, the same way we do with academics, the same way we do with physical, uh, you know. And, and I think one other thing I'll say is I think many times people people think that when it comes to mental health and athletes, they think of, of sports psychologists. That's what mm-hmm. they think. They go, oh, a sports psychologist. And, and the difference is sports psychologists generally focus on performance. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to help you with performance. And that's yeah. not what we do. We have some sports psychology and the stuff that we do. But for the most part, we are trying to treat mental health in athletes. That's what we are trying to do. And, and the performance is secondary. Because if the person can't get out of bed in the morning or isn't sure if they want to make it to the next year, then quite honestly, the performance is irrelevant at that point. Yeah. We need to get that person healthy. And so. Very true that's what i that's what i hope we do that's what i hope we do and i think people like you guys and uh other people speaking out against it and uh you know i think it's, it's it's a possible thing that we can get this out there because any of these colleges that start doing this and some of them are doing it, some of them are doing it and uh and the pro teams i know are doing it so it just depends on what well, i know we can do better
2: absolutely i i view it i view it derek and we're, we're, we're sort of winding down here as well too we we I want to be mindful of your time because if, I, I feel like we could talk to you forever, but uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I, I, I view it as, you know, like a vehicle, a car, right? Just an automobile. You can get the new steering wheel. You can get the new system in there with the base booming in the back, leather Italian seats, all of the above. You can get the new pipes, new pistons, all that jazz, right? New engine, all of that, just firing on all cylinders, right? Uh-huh. But if you ain't got any wheels on it, uh-huh. All that's irrelevant. Absolutely. Sort of like these pillars when we talk about these athletes, right? The mental health aspect of it. This mental health field for athletes has been developed, but it's more so, as you stated, on a performance-based. Uh-huh. And it's like, but you know, they're humans too. They're they have brains just like ours. They still deal with the same stuff that that us folks outside of sports, outside of the playing days, still deal with, or so. I mean, I I really find this conversation to be important. Um, yeah, you, you've shared a lot of great stuff. A lot. Of great I appreciate stuff.
0: it. I appreciate <laughs> it. I I think that part of the reason why they don't do it, I think the reason why these things aren't set up is because I just think people don't understand it. I don't think it's that they don't want to help or that they they that, you know I just think they don't really understand this area and so they're not sure what to do with it and yeah. and that's why uh folks like us then we do understand it we know exactly what needs to happen if a college calls us up and says listen we want to help our athletes with mental health we can go in and tell them exactly what they need to do top to bottom uh Mm -hmm. with the way they get the word to them with with the support that they give what the college could do all that kind of stuff and i think the reason why they don't is is because they just don't know how to do it i think a lot of these colleges would love to do it they just don't know how to do it so um i hope you're
1: right yeah sometimes (laughs) i'm afraid that even college athletes are looked at as products. and Oh, for sure. That's, for sure. I, I hope that we can cha- help change that mentality. And I hope that like AJ Brown, you know, uh, obviously Hunter Henry, you got Darren Waller, all mm-hmm. these athletes speaking out. Calvin Ridley taking time away mm-hmm. and being and honest Biles. about why he's taking hope time away. Yeah, Simone Biles mm-hmm. in the middle of the Olympics. Yep.
0: Yeah.
1: I really hope that Naomi Osaka. I mean, we could keep going. And it's awesome that we can. Yeah, we okay. can do that now. And that's that's um, it, it's amazing that we're seeing this process starting to happen because it it had to start in order for it to get to where it is now, and soon it's gonna just keep going and get down to the lower levels, which is that it's awesome when that happens because then it, it's normalized and there's not a stigma behind it. And um, yep, yeah. Have, have you ever seen Ted Lasso? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I've <laughs> never
0: had. Well, one thing I want to say. I want to add one more thing yeah. to that list of those people who have come out and that's Monte Ball. I'll just say that. Um so uh but yeah, I've never had so many people ask me about a show. Because uh, I don't think I mentioned this RJ, but I coach high school soccer now too. Okay. I coach high school soccer in in downtown Chicago, and uh, so I've never had so many people honestly ask me about a show. I've and, and <laughs> the funny part is I hadn't watched it. I hadn't watched it. I started it, and and I it didn't grab me at first. And now uh, then the real key was when my my wife liked it, and then yeah. uh, so now it can be put on the it can be you know put on the rotation of things that we watch so she uh, so that was good and yeah i love the show it's great i mean they address important things they they do it in a really good way he's a you know there he's a well known likable actor and i mm-hmm. think that uh you know it's uh, it's funny and it's uh, and it's meaningful so yes i like the show and uh, i've had so many people ask me about that show it's funny so yeah
1: i have i so the second season when they bring in you know spoilers the right. sports psychologist yeah yep. and she's there dealing with their mental health issues that actually yep. impacts their performance positively like that's what, kind of what i pictured when you were talking about that so that's why i asked and like yeah. it's amazing yeah. how a comedy sports show can like take things that we need in the real world like that and it's yeah yeah it, it's unlikely places that things come yeah. from and it's just uh i'm, I'm glad you've seen it so <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> it's yeah, like yeah it's like my chicken noodle soup show so
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. I enjoy
1: it. So that's funny. <laughs> so, Derek, if uh, people want to get in touch with you, if people want to contact you or uh, maybe, let's say, um, you know, athletes maybe see mm-hmm. this or whatever. How can people get in touch with you?
0: Yeah, first of all, I'd say anybody who wants to reach out to me, I'm happy to hear from you. Um, and, uh, and, I'll, and, and I'm happy to try to help in any way I can. Whether it's you know working with us, uh, but we're also very well connected in the community, both in Chicago and across the country, and uh, I I love the fact that people want to reach out, and so I want to support that completely. So uh, I will give you my uh, there's three ways to reach me. One is I'll give you my direct line phone number, which forwards to me after hours. That number is three one two eight zero four three nine eight zero. You can also text me on that number and just introduce yourself. The other thing is I'll give you my email address. That's D-E-R-E-K at Millennium Hope. And that's millenniumhop com. Uh, and uh, Millennium's tough to spell. Two L's, two N's, right? It two is. Two L's, two N's.
1: Uh, <laughs> as we found out earlier. Our, yeah, as you found <laughs> yeah. out earlier.
0: That's right, that's right. Or you can go to our website, which is www.millenniumhope.com. And it has all of our profiles on there and ways to contact us. And uh, But like awesome. I said, if you're thinking you want to talk to somebody and reach out, reach out. I'll help you get to the right place. We'll help you get in touch with the right people. And uh, that's what we need. We we need people to ask questions. We need people to, and, and, and we need people like us to be accessible and mm-hmm. say, absolutely. I know you don't know me, but I'll help you. So mm-hmm. give me a call,
2: right? Love that. So we'll, we'll, um, we'll post all that information under, under the video, just so folks can, can get in touch with you immediately Um, because mm-hmm. we, we, um, we're very fortunate right now. We, we, we love every listener who listens. in um, even if, even if we don't really know them, we try to, we try to make sure that they know that we appreciate them. And so we got some folks that really tune in and, uh, you may get some phone calls, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Happy to help. Anyway, I can, yeah.
1: uh, yeah. And if people, you know, reach out to us, we'll try to put them in contact with you too. So oh, yeah. uh, like, oh yeah, Mon said, we'll put this in the description and, um, yeah both the podcast and the uh, and the on YouTube, but yep. Monts, where can people find you?
2: You guys can find me on Twitter at Monte ball, 28 um, Instagram, Monte ball, obviously our Untapped K pages on social media as well. Please send us topics, questions, any guests you want to see uh, uh just like Derek. I mean, I, it sounds like the next guest, whoever it is, we're going to have moving forward. They, they got, they got quite the, uh, quite the the follow-up act <laughs> that they have to have, because we really appreciate your time, Derek. But that's where you guys can find me at. Uh, RJ, where can they find you, man?
1: Uh, find me on Twitter at it's Trickster ITZ. The I is the one in Trickster. Uh, untapped Keg. Everywhere else, you know, try and get back to you as soon as we can. Uh, we check them throughout the day, and if you tweet at us, we'll get right back. Um, I would say Twitter's probably our most active, but shoot us an email to keg at gmail.com. If you don't Want to use Twitter, Facebook, or any of the social media apps? So, um, thanks so much, Derek. Like Mont said, this was this was an amazing episode. Uh, yeah. We really appreciate you coming on and you know sharing so much with us.
0: <clears throat> Absolutely, so- yeah. Thanks for having me on. You guys are doing great things. I love what Thank you're you. doing. Uh, I think that, uh, uh, I'm glad you've got people out there hearing you. And, uh, yeah. And, you know, our hope is, is that we, uh, that we're going to go and, and, you know, we're in, we're just in Chicago right now. Our hope is we're going to go to different parts of the country, uh, and, uh, both on the athlete side as well as the, uh, you know, our intensive program. And so, if you're in a different market, keep an eye out for us, uh, and uh, you know. And we're if you have any questions on how to do that, if there's anybody out there that has questions, just ask us, and and we'll answer. It's one of the best things I love about this field is that people, for the most part, just about everybody really just wants to help people. It, mm-hmm. It's it's different, yeah. you know. It's different. I mean, everybody wants to help you get to the right person, and so I love that about it. So, but I appreciate you guys having me on. You guys are both awesome, Thank and you, uh, I feel lucky to know you. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right. Well, let's. Try to be better tomorrow than we were today because if we didn't make it, we tried. Everybody Mm -hmm. have a good week. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Millennium
1: Counseling Center podcast. Where hope is yours, it's time to soar. Continue along your journey of healing, hope, and recovery with us next week.
0: If you want to learn more about mental health, recovery, or if you just need someone to talk to, send us a message on Instagram or fill out the contact form on our website at millenniumhope.com. We are here to talk.